Everyone, get your Bibles out if you've got them. If you haven't got them, I'm going to read anyway. We're continuing on in our look at John. We're in John chapter 17, and I'm reading verses 6 to 12. Okay, that's all the information I'm giving you. Find your way there. I'm sure, look, they're, they're, way, they're one step ahead of me. As always at the back, they've got it up on the screen. But this is what we're looking at today. I'm going to read it because James has abandoned me and left me on my own again. I got him up reading last week, and every week he's here, I'm going to remind me I'm going to get him up reading. Okay, so if I forget, you lot remember, and I'll get James up to read. Um, but for now, you've got to listen to me, okay? We're in John chapter 17, and I'm reading verses 6 to 12, and this is what it says, okay? It's entitled, Jesus Prays for His Disciples. It says, I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you. And they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine, and glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that Scripture would be fulfilled. Amen. And I just pray that as we look at those verses this morning that God would speak to us. I believe that He does through His Word and that is my prayer this morning. I also pray that we would be receptive to hear what he has to say to us. That we wouldn't have closed minds. That our hearts would be open to what God is saying. So without further ado, let's look at these verses. Let's look at what God is trying to say to us this morning through them. And the first thing that I want to pick up on is that this is about the people that God uses. Jesus is praying here for his disciples. If you were here last week, when we looked at the first five verses of John 17, we saw that Jesus prayed for himself. But in these next few verses, he prays for his people. He prays for his disciples. And as we look at these verses, there are a few things that we learn about Jesus' disciples in particular. And if you build, so Paul stood up here before when we were taking communion and talked about being born again. And all that means is that you belong to Jesus. If you are born again, like it or not, you are a disciple. That's what Jesus says. If you're one of his, you're a disciple. So when Jesus prays for his disciples in this instance, yes, he's praying for the people that he was with at the time, but it's also relevant to us. 
there are a few things that we can pick up. And this is all about the people that God uses. And it tells us in these verses that God uses people that he has given to his son. That God uses people who know his son and obey him. And God uses people and he keeps them whilst they're in the world. And I've already said that these verses are all about Jesus praying for his disciples, but I want you to take note of the focus is not on the disciples at all. Yes, he's praying for his disciples, but read how God-focused the verses are. Pay attention to when Jesus prays about how much focus he puts on God. Even though he's praying for his disciples. He says things like, the disciples or the church first and foremost belongs to God. He says it doesn't belong to any man. He says that God has set this plan from before the beginning of time. That God has had this plan and he sent his son to redeem his people. He sent Jesus to redeem his people. And then he promises that he will keep his people by his power. So, so, so God focused. The first point I want to look at is in the first couple of verses, verses 6 to 8 really. And it's about how God uses people who know and obey him through his son. Now, I haven't got, I haven't got very long this morning really, and these verses are packed. You could talk for days and days and days about this prayer that Jesus prays for his disciples. So I'm only really going to skim the surface. But the question I want to ask you is, in the light of Jesus' prediction that all his disciples are going to desert him and they'll all be scattered, and in light of all the disciples' frequent misunderstandings of Jesus, how can Jesus pray as he does in verses 6 to 8? I want you to look at what he says. He says, I've kept your word. They have come to know everything you have given me is from you. They have truly understood that I came forth from you. And yet we've already heard from Jesus and we've already heard from the disciples' own mouths at times that they don't get it. They don't understand. They don't know. So how can Jesus say these words? Well, yes, the disciples' faith was often weak and their understanding was often lacking. But which one of us isn't like that? The real thing as to why Jesus could pray as he did is because these disciples had not walked away. They didn't walk away when Jesus taught hard truths. They had expressed their commitment to die with Jesus, if need be, already. Now, they might have moments of weakness, and we know that they have moments of weakness that are about to come, but these are things that they've already said, already expressed. The fact that Jesus goes on for, for the Father to keep them, he prays to the Father to keep them, shows that Jesus is not oblivious to their weaknesses. He's praying that the Father would strengthen them. 
The other thing that this prayer gives us in these verses is Jesus' intercession for us as our high priest in heaven. We really hold, and again, whether you believe it or not, if you belong to Jesus, we hold an exalted position. We are blessed. In Ephesians, it tells us, even now, we are seated with him in heavenly places. If you belong to Jesus this morning, as you sit where you are right now, you are seated with him in a heavenly place. That's amazing. You might not even feel like you're seated in a heavenly place, but that doesn't change the fact that you are. Romans 15 tells us when we belong, we're accepted in him. We're accepted in Jesus. And in Ephesians it says, because we are in Christ, we have a responsibility to walk in a manner worthy of that. And just like the disciples, if we know Jesus, and whilst we know Jesus, we also should be growing to know him more. That depth of knowledge of Jesus in our lives should be growing. That's what Jesus is praying for his disciples for. He's not saying, yeah, they've got it all and they understand it totally. When he says that they're with me and they understand, what he's saying is they've understood to a point, pray that they understand more. That as they walk with me and that as they leave them, Father, you will protect them while they're on the earth and, and they will grow in that relationship with me even more. You see, Jesus's or God's strategy to reach the world is through people who know him. That was his plan then with the disciples and that's still his plan now with us. God has chosen to reach the world with the good news about Jesus through his people. And guess what? The people that he chose in the first instance weren't the highest in the land. Weren't the ones who were the most respected. Weren't the ones who had all the greatest qualifications. They're not the people that Jesus chose. They're not the people that God chose. God chose people who put their faith in Jesus. God still chooses people to do his work who put their faith in Jesus. In verses 9 to 10, God goes, Jesus goes on to say that God uses people whom he has given to his son for his glory. That's the purpose. Jesus uses the verb to give 17 times in this prayer alone. 13 of those times refer to the Father giving to the Son. And he's already referred to believers as those whom the Father had given to him. And he mentions it again three times in these couple of verses, 9 and 10. 
In verse 10, Jesus claims to share all things with the Father. Jesus is pleading for those whom the Father acknowledges to be his already. And Jesus shows that he has good reason for caring about these men because they belong to him since he purchased them with his own blood. And when Jesus says that these men were the fathers, he's referring to the fact that God had chosen them in Christ before the foundation of the world. God chose not only the apostles, but also all whom Christ would die to save. It's me and you. That's me and you. That's us that belong to him. Chosen before the foundation of the world to belong to him. That's how special you are. So special to God that he chose that you would be part of his family before he founded the world. I want to tell you again, that is a privileged position to be in. It is a privileged position to be in. We belong to the Father, faith in Christ. We see this truth in other scriptures. It's not just here in John chapter 17. It's throughout the Bible. And in other parts of the Bible, we hear, don't we, that it's God's grace. It's, it's through no other way. No one does anything to achieve that standing with God. No one does something that's so good that God goes, do you know what, you're so good, you can come and, you can come and be part of my family. It's nothing like that. It's all his grace. It's all because he loves. It's all because he's merciful. It's all because he's just. It's all because of him. We hear it very often, don't we? I certainly hear it very often. We hear it often said here, grace is just unmerited favour. That is God giving something that none of us deserve. Grace is unmerited favour shown to those that actually deserve God's wrath. All throughout this prayer, I've already said that Jesus focuses upon God. But why does Jesus emphasise God's sovereignty so heavily in this prayer? Why does he do it? Well, I want to remind you, as if you, I'm, I'm sure you've not forgotten, but I'm going to remind you anyway about where Jesus is about to go. After this prayer, Jesus is about to go to the cross. I'm going to ask you a question. When you face difficult times, what do you do? And I'm going to tell you, while I'm asking you the question, there's never been a more difficult situation than Jesus facing the prospect of the cross. Never. Jesus focuses his attention on the fact that God is in control 
of all things. God is even in control of him going to the cross. We know from other scriptures, don't we, that that Jesus' life wasn't taken from him, it was laid down. He was in control at all times. And so therefore it makes sense that as he prays for himself, and then today we hear he prays for his disciples, it makes sense that he would reference God's sovereignty. Through prayer, Jesus gained peace and courage to face the cross. Be that before the foundation of the world, God the Father had given a chosen people to his son, him. And that his mission to save them would not fail. Tells us that in John chapter 6. I know it seems like such a long time ago. But there really are some practical applications of this teaching for us. The first thing that it teaches us is the fact that we now believe in Christ. So yes, we're sat here, we're in that privileged position, we believe in Christ, but it gives us absolutely no grounds for boasting in ourselves. None. It only gives us ground for boasting about God's grace in our life. That's it. That's all we've got. That's all we've got to offer anyone. That's all we can boast about, Jesus. Jesus and his grace in our lives. The second thing that we can learn for it about ourselves is the fact that the Father gave us who believe to Jesus means that we're treasured. You're treasured. God the Father gave us to Jesus, gave us who believe to Jesus, it means we are treasured. God treasures you. Jesus treasures you. He treasures you so much that he paid for you with his blood at the cost of his life. The fact that the Father chose you and gave you to Jesus and purchased your salvation with his blood means he is not going to lose you. He is not. He promises he is not going to lose you. But that tells you something else as well. It tells you you're not your own. You don't belong to yourself. You're his. You don't own your money. You don't own your time. You don't own your thoughts. God owns them. He gave you your life through his son. And and he's also given you gifts. He has given each one of us gifts to use for his glory for his benefit and not ours gifts that we that we should use as part of his plan to reach the world with the good news about Jesus Christ 
And that leads me on to the final thing that we get from these couple of verses about ourselves and how we can apply these to our lives. Because God gave us to Christ, because God has given us gifts, because he's shown us his grace, because we're his, our aim should be to glorify him. Glorify him in our lives, the things we say, the things we do, how we spend our time. We've already said it's not ours anyway. He is glorified when we tell others about him. He is glorified when others see Jesus through our witness. Like it or not, God uses people like me and you to reach other people. God used his disciples. Jesus used his disciples to reach other people with the gospel. His strategy, his methodology has never ever changed. It's still the same today. He uses people like me and you to reach others with the gospel. That should be our aim, that we would glorify God in our lives. Because we're his. And there's a promise attached to it. And we, in verses 11 and 12, we, we see that promise. The promise is that God keeps those people that God has chosen... Those people that God uses, he promises to keep in holiness and unity whilst they're in this world. That is a promise to those that belong to Jesus. And these verses actually, we'll learn a little bit more as we progress into next week from verse 13 onwards. But in verses 13 to 19, Jesus prays that the disciples will be kept in holiness. And verses 20 onwards, he asks in the, in the future that disciples will be kept in unity. You see, Jesus calls special attention here to God's character or his name when he addresses him as Holy Father. We've talked about this in recent weeks as well. Holy points to being separate. points to God's separateness from creation, his separateness from sin. And he promises to keep his people in that same holiness, separate from sin. Jesus says, Father. Not just holy, but holy Father. And I want you to think about that reference. When you refer to someone as Father, they're near to you. They're close to you. It points to God being approachable. To being in relationship. And when Jesus prays, Holy Father, that is the person that he's talking to about us, about his disciples. He's saying, Holy Father, loving Father, Holy Father, keep my people holy. Keep them from sin. Do that because you're their Father as well as mine.
I want you to note that Jesus prays that the Father will keep the disciples so that they may be one even as we are. I want you to really think about that. Jesus is saying, keep my disciples so close, so united, that they are just like me and you, God. Jesus the Son and God the Father, both God. Different entity, but both God. Jesus is saying, keep my people as tight-knit as that. Keep them as united as me and you. The text that we read today, and I'm coming towards the end now, it, it ends on a bit of a somber note. And like I say, I haven't got time to go into all the kind of different stuff on it. But Jesus references a son of perdition. And it's Judas. And Judas was the one who perished so that Scripture would be fulfilled. And what, what is given as an example here is it's, it's just to show the opposite that God does not reach the world through people who do not belong to him. So if you focus on what Jesus has already said, he's praying for his disciples and he's saying, I've got to I'll keep them united, keep them holy, keep them separate, use them to bring glory to yourself. Judas is the example of, how, of the opposite that he's brought in here. And he's saying, through the son of perdition, through Judas... To fulfill scripture, he perished. God didn't use him to reach the world. Judas didn't belong to God through Jesus. Son of perdition is a Hebrew expression. And it points to both Judas' character and his destiny. And here Judas played a role in God's sovereign plan. To put Jesus on the cross. We're told in, in scripture that Satan entered Judas' heart. To cause him to betray Jesus. And scripture also tells us that Judas did it willingly. Because of his greed. So God ordained. What happened. But Judas, it tells us in Acts chapter 2, was responsible for what he did. Why does Jesus mention Judas here? Well, he's assuring his own heart, and more importantly, the disciples' hearts, that God is in control of all the awful events of the night that is to come. Remember, he's praying for himself. He's going to the cross. He's praying for himself. He's praying for the disciples who are going to be worried and are going to struggle with Jesus leaving. But he wants them to be in no doubt whatsoever that God is in control. He wants them to know that so much that even the most evil people... So Satan, Satan has entered Jesus' heart we're told, even the most evil of beings cannot 
thwart God's plan. In fact, inadvertently, they fulfill it. Jesus knew when he chose Judas to be a disciple that he was a devil. Again, not my words, John chapter 6. But it was part of God's sovereign plan for salvation. The learning for us. If we want God to use us in his plan to reach the world, we're not to be a hypocrite like Judas was. We don't have to have any impressive qualifications for God to use us. In fact, Judas was the keeper. Of the, Judas was given the responsibility of keeping the money. I don't know what that says about accountants. I'm an accountant, by the way. I'll come clean and tell you now. You don't have to have an impressive qualification to serve God. You don't have to have an impressive background for him to use you. But what these few verses give us a glimpse of is that if we truly believe in Jesus as our Savior and our Lord, God will use us. If we truly grow to know God and obey him through his word, he will use us. If we put ourselves under God's protective keeping and we walk in holiness and in unity with one another, God will use us. And more than use us, he'll keep us, he'll protect us, he'll look after us, he'll sustain us. God uses people that he has given to his son, Jesus. God uses people who know Jesus and obey him. God uses people and he keeps hold of them whilst they're in this world and beyond. Amen. Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for its truth. Lord, I pray that you would speak to each one of us today, that we would hear those things that you want us to hear and that we would be able to use them in our lives, that you would be glorified. Father, help us to focus on the things of you and not of our flesh and not of this world. Be with us this week as we go from this place. Take care of us until we meet again. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.